You're listening to the Geek Watch Podcast, Episode 88, Dark Clouds Over Geek Town. This is the Geek Watch Podcast with Brian Hatcher and Mandy Petrie. Greetings, Geek Watchers, and welcome to episode 88 of the Geek Watch Podcast. I'm Brian Hatcher, and with me, as always, Geek Watch's own resident geek goddess, Mandy Petrie. Hello, Brian. Well, today we have a conflagration of bad news, bad luck, and bad attitudes. And so so we have that to talk about today. Uh, But before we get to that, did you see the Star Wars trailer? I think so, yeah. Yeah. uh, I mean, it didn't really see any different to me, so... Uh... Yeah, I, there was there was a little bit of difference. I mean, obviously, we get a lot more of the Emperor. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can certainly hear him. Right. Uh, and uh, apparently, everything that's been happening in the last couple of movies is exactly what he wanted to happen. Mm. That it apparently there's uh, there was some grand master plan to all of this that he's want that he's been working behind the scenes to get to happen. I guess. Of course, we don't get an awful lot about the plot, but obviously, I, I don't want to get a lot yeah. <laughs> from it. You know, I think very often uh, uh, trailers give away too much of the movie, and this one didn't so much. But it did tease a lot more of the emperor. I mean, we knew that he was coming, but uh, this the trailer did confirm it and uh, has us asking some questions. So. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I'm definitely going to be interested in, uh, of course, I'll be in the theater watching the last, you know, well, this will be the last of the, I guess, the Skywalker, Skywalker saga. saga. yeah. Yeah. So, that, and uh, nine, uh, nine movies, which uh, I enjoyed probably about five of them. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see how the last one turns out. But Spanning, what, five decades now? Yeah. Five decades. Well, yeah. you know, I, that that was the thing, you know, of course. You know, when I was a young man, you had to wait two to three years for a Star <laughs> Wars movie. Uh, and um, this may be the last Star Well, I guess, I mean, of course, with Disney Plus, you'll have, you'll have Star Wars TV shows. But when we may see another Star Wars movie, who can say? Mm-hmm. But uh, we did get some news today since we're on the we're on trailers. We now have a definitive date when the the first official trailer for Wonder Woman 1984 is going to air. Oh, okay. It's going to show at the Warner Brothers panel uh, for the uh, at the com- the Comic Con experience in Sao Paulo, uh, Brazil. So this will huh, be the first okay. time that uh, this uh, this official trailer airs, and. Um, Gal Gadot will be there awesome. to um, after at the panel to answer questions. So that will be the first time that anybody sees it. Now, the, when we'll see it, I, we, there's only um, I mean we can only guess. But I'm thinking, and and if if you think I'm wrong about this, you know, let me know. But I'm thinking that if I have this movie trailer that's that's out in December. Mm-hmm. And I really want buzz for my movie. I would be tempted to put it in front of uh, the Star Wars film. Oh, I really yeah. would. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And maybe I'm wrong, but mm-hmm. <laughs> maybe that's not the play. But uh, I would certainly. Uh, that's when I would do it. Yeah. So, 
Uh, we may uh, we may get our first look at uh, the new Wonder Woman film, uh, 1984. We might get the uh, chance to see it uh, in front of Star Wars, the, the uh, Rise of Skywalker. So we'll we'll see if that happens. But it seems like that would be the play. So let's uh, let's talk about bad news and bad luck. Um, I know you don't go out to see a lot of movies. Did you see Gemini Man? Uh, no. Well, you're like the rest of the world, apparently. <laughs> that was the Will Smith, right? Yeah, that's the Will Smith he, one. He goes back in time, or he kills himself, goes back in time, kills himself, or there's a clone, he has to kill himself. Yeah, that, okay. yeah, it's, it's kind of like Looper. Basically, okay. he's a, uh, he's an, he's an, um, an aging hitman, and they've cloned him, and so he has to fight a younger version of himself. Huh. Sounds like an interesting yeah. premise, but that's about all that anyone knows. Now, I haven't seen it either. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did see in the news that it looks like um, Gemini Man is on track to lose Paramount Pictures about $75 million. And a lot of that has to do with they had to spend a lot of money, first of all, on de-aging Will Smith for, you know, he has to play, not only does he have to play himself, but he has to play a younger version of himself. Mm -hmm. So he's acting against himself. Plus... they had to de-age him mm-hmm. when he played his younger his younger self, mm. and especially if uh, I mean a lot of us are familiar with what Will Smith looked like when he was younger, and so you know that had to be it had to be perfect. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, Ang Lee shot the whole film in 120 frames per second, which is not typical for a film, obviously. And not most theaters can't play a film in 120 oh, frames wow. a second. I mean, this hmm. is, like I said, this is um, most of the times uh, when you shoot at 120 frames, it's so you can slow it down for, you know, slow-mo. Mm-hmm. But no, he shot the whole film that way. And, of course, most theaters can't play it at 120. In fact, only your your best high-end televisions right now have a have a refresh rate that can handle 120 See, I just imagine that, you know, without physical film, you know, spinning around, you know, it just doesn't seem like it would be that that big a deal, you know, in my head. But, you know, I, I don't know that much about technology. It just well, seems that, you know. Well, uh, d- d- sim- like, whether it's a monitor or a projector, it has its own refresh rate. In other words, just like a, like in a, uh, in a movie, the screen or the projection refreshes at a certain hertz. Like your your typical computer monitor back in the day is like sixty megahertz, okay, and so you're limited by the equipment. So even if you're if you've got a uh, whether it's um, you know eighty you know eighty frames a second, one hundred twenty frames a second, three hundred frames a second, whatever speed the the equipment can refresh the frame is how fast it can go, and so most projector equipment doesn't you know can't handle 120 frames a second it can't refresh that fast and so you can't you know so you don't have a lot of studios that can project at 120 frames a second they it, it just can't and so you have to basically knock it down to to where the projectors can handle it and so but it's expensive for these cameras obviously so he uh so ang lee spent a lot of money to to get this frame rate that, you, for the most part, you can't show. And, I mean, the film, it had, it had like, just, 
you know, the reviews were pretty mixed, and it went up against Joker, which at this point is up to very likely be the the highest grossing R-rated film of all time. Wow. So it hasn't huh. it hasn't beat Deadpool yet, hmm. but it's it's getting there. So that's the I mean that's the issue is it's just they they spent so much money on the tech you know and so much uh, with you know of course the de aging and the one twenty frames a second they spent so much money on budget and of course the reviews weren't so good I mean that's why even though it has it has made two hundred million. But that doesn't cover the cost. So, you know, if projections are good and hopefully, like I said, it doesn't bottom out faster than people think it's going to, then it's only going to cost Paramount $75 million. But if it bottoms out faster than that, then it'll wind up costing them more. And it's, it just goes to show not everything geeky is popular, for sure. And, I mean, I feel, to be honest, I feel really bad for Will Smith. I mean, he's... It's been a minute since he's had, you know, like, a really popular film. Yeah, um, so was Gemini Man based on a graphic novel or a comic or anything no. like that? No, no, okay, this, so this was an original, this was... Original, an, brand new, uh, mm-hmm. yep. Mm-hmm. Which, that kind of hurts, because mm-hmm. I always like to see original stuff, you know, get a good shot, because, you know, sometimes Hollywood can be skittish about things that don't have a really strong IP, but uh, I mean, that's the thing about Ang Lee, too, is that he can be very hit or miss. He either His movies either do really well or they tank. <laughs> There's never like any kind of a middle of the road for this guy. He's, He's an, also one of the most diverse directors ever. Oh, yeah. You know who directs House of Flying Di- House or Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon? Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, and, yeah. And Pride and Prejudice. Yeah. <laughs> so... Oh yeah, you know, from Jane Austen to to all the way to the other end of the spectrum. Yeah. Oh yeah, he. I mean, he goes he goes all over the place, and uh, yeah, I mean, th- that's sometimes that's the danger of being really creative is you can have really really good ideas. Sense and sensibility. Forgive me. That yeah, was, I, I did the incorrect one. Oh yeah, um, mm-hmm. yeah. So you have the you know you can either do really really good ideas or have really really bad ones, mm-hmm. and yeah, like I said, he he goes. I'm trying to remember what movie it was. I, I think he also tried. I, I think he also shot it in, in uh, 120 frames a second. And I can't. I, I don't remember the name of the film, but I I know that nobody liked it. And he mm. he his was it comment the first attempt at Hulk. No, Hulk? no, it was after that. It was okay. Billy. I think it was, the name of the movie was Billy something. And I, I Billy I, Elliot. No, no, okay. no. This is something else. I can't remember. To be honest, I can't remember what the film was. But the. It, it didn't do very well at all in the theaters, and it, it was, uh, wasn't was critically uh, uh, praised at all. And the way Ang Lee put it, he says, I felt like, you know, you know, I felt one way, the world felt the other, but to this day, I still feel like the world was wrong, and I was right. And I get that. I can get that from an artist standpoint. At, at the other end, you know, it's like your movies have to make money if you want to keep making them. So, but I mean, nobody's uh, stopping Ang Lee from making films at this point. So I guess he's all right. But yeah, seventy-five million—that's that's rough. So, but again, I just I feel bad for Will Smith because it seems like he's doing better on YouTube than he's doing <laughs> than he's doing uh, in, in films. It's like, I mean, he's he's had some really rough films you know recently i mean i'm trying to think of i'm figuring that the new bad boys film is going to do well 
because it's a popular franchise, but I don't know what else he's got in the uh, coming along. I mean, Bright didn't do very well. After Earth didn't do very well. I would have to say, I mean, Will Smith, I think he's a really good actor, and I think his what's happened uh, with him in films recently doesn't reflect what he's capable of doing. I think... I think he's um I I think he's uh capable of you know acting wise his movies don't really reflect I think his talent at this point. I think that and I don't know honestly what he needs to do for I mean I'd, I'd love to see him in a Marvel film. I think that mm-hmm. you know people might remember that he knows what he's doing. Yeah, jump over jump the wall, jump the wall, you know. You did your you did your stint in DC. Now come yeah. over to the other side. Yeah, and he's I mean he's not going to be in the next Suicide Squad film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd like to you know, I, I think he deserves uh, he deserves a break, and I hope he catches one for sure. But uh, speaking of things that I haven't seen, and I know you don't watch a lot of CW, so I, I'm I'll ask you this: Have you watched any of the Batwoman stuff? Nope. Mm-mm. Uh, well, I haven't either. So. It, I mean, the obvious question is, what the heck do we got to talk about here if we've not seen it? Well, I haven't seen that, but I have been seeing a lot of this, uh, the stuff online, which I, f- I thought that this, if there was a moment where I needed some counseling and some psychotherapy from you, this, this had to be it. So I have been watching a lot of reviews on Batwoman, and I've seen things on Facebook, friends of mine who have seen Batwoman and have made comments on it, and None of, it, none of it has been really that good. Oh, that's upsetting. Yeah, I mean, I, and we've talked about it, and I thought, yeah, Ruby Rose was, you know, when you look at her, you're like, she looks like the comic, you know? Mm-hmm. Now, you know, what you think of her acting chops, you know, that's that's your opinion, certainly. But, uh, yeah, everything that I've seen, it's it's not been good. Oh. Uh, now, I'm not saying it was uh, Wonder Woman pilot, television pilot bad and by wonder woman pilot i'm talking about the their last attempt to put it on television before it was made into a movie the one that was like 2008 yeah Uh, yeah yeah that that Mm -hmm. was dreadfully awful and i don't see it but i remember seeing the uh the costume for it and people being upset i didn't think it was that bad but people didn't like that it was pants yeah uh, well i mean i didn't have a problem with that either uh but that wasn't close to what the problems were there there's if you go on youtube you can see clips from it and you can also see uh there there was a uh uh, a review of the pilot i can't remember who did it but uh, he uh, got a chance to see the pilot and he talks about a lot of stuff that was in it and yeah it was it was the most tone deaf adaptation of wonder woman you could possibly imagine as good as the as as Wonder Woman the movie was, that pilot was bad. <laughs> it it was it was terrible. But uh, yeah, I'm Batwoman. I don't think is that bad. But some of the things that I've been seeing about it, not so good. But here's what I wanted to talk about, and why I wanted to bring this up. And it's not to drag bat the batwoman tv show which i think is gonna be surprised uh, some of the geek watchers because it seems like everybody else is more than happy to to drag it in fact i have seen uh i saw video after video of somebody watching the uh, men and women okay so this is not just all guys but both men and women who watched the the pilot of batwoman and and doing reactions and saying i know this is going to be bad 
I know this is going to suck. And then they watched it and dragged it all the way through. And then on their channel, then you see they review the second show. There's only been three so far, and then you watch the third one, and they continue to, they're hate-watching this show. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm trying to figure out why you would do that. I understand the whole, you know, it's so bad, it's good thing, and, and you know, watching B-movies, I love doing mm-hmm. that. But this whole thing about if you hate it so much, why are you watching it? Uh-huh. You know, you're and, still getting the ratings up, and you're still drawing attention to it well, from your channel. So. Well, I mean, yeah, I, I think it sometimes dragging something becomes a spectator sport. <laughs> and, you know, if something really upsets me, I can see where I can, you know, I can see where you kind of f- fall into the dark side and you and you hate something so much you just want to talk about it. And it, and, and it does become very popular on, on YouTube to, you know, to drag something, especially if everybody else is kind of jumping onto the bandwagon. But... And I think sometimes I, you know, I, I fall for that trap, but I don't want to be somebody, I don't want to watch Batwoman just so that I can, you know, so I can get on the podcast here and just, just trash it. You know, I, I don't want to, I don't see the fun in that. And I certainly don't see the fun in, in subjecting you or the audience to any of that either. I guess it could be fun in small doses, but it just, it just, I thought it was so weird that that people were like video after video didn't didn't expect a whole lot from it didn't get a whole lot from it but then they watched the next episode and the next episode and I, they're probably going to go through the entire how many episodes are in the season dragging it all you know the whole time and I, I don't know I can I can sympathize with that but I just I can't follow with it so I think part of this is to say that if anybody's wondering why we're not really talking about Batwoman, it's like there's enough people dragging it on the internet. I just I I don't see a reason to to be one of them. I mean, there's pl- if you want to listen to people uh, trash Batwoman, you've got your pick. I think so. I don't know if we can really need to uh, to add to that. Um, and I, I, it looks like you pretty much agree with me on yeah. that one. Mm-hmm. So. Uh, I hope it gets better. I mean, there's no, there's no benefit at all to to a superhero show being on television that's not that good. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to get any enjoyment out of it if it doesn't get any better. And you know, uh, so uh, like I said, I hope hopefully it gets better. But um, like I said, uh, we'll we'll leave the we'll leave the dragging of the show to to other people because it's it's certainly there. But uh, but speaking of dragging. <laughs> have you been keeping up with the uh, Martin Scorsese? Oh yes, You've and been... and and Francis Ford Co- Co- Coppola. Coppola. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's uh, mm-hmm. yeah. So yeah, I've got some I got some opinions about that too. Mm-hmm. So have you been reading any articles? You've been uh, you, no, uh, just uh, pretty much know that they uh, they say that you know they're that the superhero movies aren't good movies and yeah. they're kind of ruining you know what we think of as good cinema and stuff that's pretty much what i what i've seen what i what i know of it and you know that's you know, yeah okay <laughs> well you know scorsese, uh, scorsese has a film coming out the irishman which is like a it's a it's another gangster film he do, he loves doing the gangster films and Surprise. of course well <laughs> he's good at it mm-hmm. 
But, you know, we're getting Joe Pesci. He's coming back to do. I mean, he he's coming out of retirement to be in this film. And you got De Niro in it and you've got Pacino in it. So it's going to be good. Mm-hmm. And, of course, uh, he's out promoting thing, uh, promoting the film. And he basically he compared Marvel films to Carnival uh, to, you know, to to rides. Basically, they're just, okay. you know, they're theme park <laughs> rides. And it's like. Well, All right, people yeah. love theme park rides. Right. But uh, one of the quotes, uh, like I said, I, I don't want to take him out of context. I'm going to quote him exactly what he said. Uh, he said, it isn't the cinema of human beings trying to convey emotional, psychological experiences to another human being. So that's what he that's when he's he looks at. He said he tried to watch Marvel movies. He just can't. He just can't watch them. Mm-hmm. He said, you, you're not dealing with people who have feelings that are dealing with other people in a, in a kind of a real way, which makes me say, well, obviously you've not watched a lot of the Marvel movies, no, obviously. Not enough, and, uh, you know, as a writer, I think he would understand metaphor and allegory much, <laughs> you know, in a way, in a manner that, and, uh, you know, when I hear, you know, them saying those kind of things, like, my first thought is, okay, you have The Wreck of the Hesperus, and then you have Casey at the Bat. Now, is Casey at the Bat anywhere near the the prowess and the pros and the uh, and the iambic pentameter of Wreck of the Hesperus? No, but we still love it. We still right. love Casey at the Bat. And you know, it it doesn't mean that it needs that it deserves any less recognition for being something so good. We love uh, Louis Louis the same three chords over and over again. It's not you know, Beethoven's ninth, but we still love it. And yeah. it still is appealing to so many people and they can relate on it so well. You know, just because something isn't isn't considered what you think a piece of art should be doesn't mean that it's not. You know, we have Rembrandt and then we have uh, Schultz, you know, uh, with beautiful Renaissance paintings, but then Garfield, <laughs> you right. know. Um, they're, they're all art and they all deserve... A chance. If you don't like them and they're not your cup of tea, great, fine, you know, but you can't fault humans for being able to relate to them. Right. Well, you know, of course, Francis Ford Coppola doubled down on this. And I, I you know, like I said, to be fair, I'm going to say, I'm, I'm going to quote him so that we know exactly what he had to say about it. He said, Martin was kind when he said it's not cinema. He didn't say it's despicable, which I just say it is. So he he doubled down on it. Now, here's what here I will say this. What I find a bit ironic about uh, about uh, Coppola and Scorsese, you know, coming down on Marvel movies and saying, well, they're not cinema is I remember, you know, because I'm an old feller. I remember when their movies came out and when when. Basically, Hollywood and the Hollywood elite at the time looked at them as the outsiders and said, what they do isn't cinema. It's, it's overly violent. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, there's no there's no artistic merit to it. It's it's just like it's just a, a highly gloss snuff film, mm-hmm. you know. So they were on the other end of that spectrum, you know, and now they have become, you know, Hollywood insiders and. This is the way, I, I, let me say, I mean, a lot of people have 
uh, have obviously jumped to the defense of the Marvel movies. Uh, you know, James Gunn, mm-hmm. uh, Kevin Smith, even uh, Bob Iger, CEO of Disney, had something to say about it. You know, and, and respectful of basically these auteurs for sure. But I mean, Bob Iger said, you know, can anyone look at Ryan Coogler's Black Panther and say that that doesn't qualify as art? You know, when compared to things that Coppola and Scorsese have done, he's like, no, I I think that they're both they're all artistic. And to say that, you know, that they're artistic where Ryan Coogler isn't, he's like, I don't see it. It doesn't make any sense to me. And I believe me, I, I, I totally get that. I think one of the problems that I have with these statements is the fact that it really reeks of gatekeepership. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. And gatekeepership does not play well in this day and age. It just doesn't. I mean, if there's anything, especially amongst the millennials, that doesn't play well, it's gatekeepership. Because in the last 10 to 15 years, gatekeepership has started to, has really gone away. It used to be, of course, that if you wanted to get your book published or you wanted to produce an album of music or you wanted to make a film, you had to go through the gatekeepers. Well, that stuff is gone now. Mm-hmm. I mean, people are self-publishing and, you know, where self-publishing at one time was looked down upon, it's not so much now. And, of course, we host our uh, podcast here on SoundCloud. And if you go on SoundCloud, artists all over the place are posting music on SoundCloud and getting it out. And in other places as well. And I mean, people are are literally making films with their iPhones. And, you know, with places like YouTube, you can put your stuff out. So, I mean, the whole gatekeeper system, for, for good or ill, is going away. And when you sound like a gatekeeper, you know, it's not a good look. And that's exactly what Coppola and, and, uh, and Scorsese sound like. They sound like... They sound like those old guys that want the kids to stay off their lawns. Mm-hmm. Like the Abercrombie and Fitch CEO. and <laughs> Yeah. But, you know, and that's, and like I said, I see that part of it. But here's the other part of, you know, here's the other side that I also see is as much as, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to see gatekeeping, obviously, and you don't want to put your foot down and say, well, this is, this is legitimate cinema and this is not. I also see the value in having a variety of films. You know, if it's all Scorsese and and Coppola, huh. I'm I'm not going to be happy. I'm be depressed all the time. Yeah, but at the same time, if it's all Marvel, I'm also not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. I want I I want the whole spectrum. Mm-hmm. I mean, and I can understand where, for some filmmakers, it might be frustrating when it looks like the only movies that are getting made are superhero films. But again, if you haven't watched a lot of them, you don't see, you don't see how superhero movies, you know, have a wide berth. I mean, I mean, think about this. We talked about Joker. We've talked about Joker on, on several occasions on this podcast. And of course mentioned it today that it's, it's on, on track to being, a uh, you know the highest grossing R-rated movie of all time. Well, Scorsese was attached as a producer to this film at one time. I mean, let's be honest; it's a Scorsese film mm-hmm. 
with a superhero veneer on it. Mm-hmm. And a thin superhero veneer at that, because nobody has superpowers. It's just, it uses characters out of a comic book, but nobody really has superpowers. And it does play like a Scorsese film. It, it, it does. And so superhero films can have that variety. But I do, like I said, I, I want to see Scorsese films. I, I want to see The Irishman. I'm, I'm interested in that film. But the thing about this, too, and this is, I find this uh, ironic as well. The reason why Scorsese has, he's going to have the ability to put out this movie that was in development hell forever is because Netflix stood up and said, well, we're going to put it out. Okay. So it gets it's going to be out in theaters for a little while, and then it's going straight to Netflix. Okay. And of course, Scorsese had nothing but nice things to say about Netflix because, of course, they pulled that pulled that movie out of development hell. It's actually going to wind up in theaters. But you know, that's the thing is, you know, he's taking the, he's taking advantage of some of the wor- of the changes in the world because I mean, obviously, this twenty years ago, the ability to release a film. You know, it required going through, a, you know, a certain studio system. And the studio system that he's defending right now, you know, wasn't looking to release a three-hour movie. But uh, Netflix didn't have a problem with it. And so things that have changed have changed to his benefit for certain. And let's be honest, although not a superhero movie, I think, I mean, obviously you can say that movies like, uh, you know, the Lord of the Rings trilogy made it more palatable for moviegoers and then, of course, for Hollywood itself to release longer uh, longer form films, you know, that they weren't so desperate to cut it off at like two hours max, you know, and wanting to keep it at 90 minutes if at all possible. And so I guess basically what uh, is I understand wanting variety in films, and I, I, I mean, I want to see the Scorsese films and the uh, and the Coppola films. I want to see them, but I can, I I mean, I can see where, how frustrating it can be when thing, uh, when things kind of change Mm -hmm. and I get where I'm, and the thing is too, uh, I think that Hollywood's fixation with superhero movies has basically come from the fact that they're making so much money. Mm -hmm. I mean, that's the thing about Hollywood is that uh, right now they're really insecure about, about their films. And so if anything makes a lot of money there everybody's going to jump on it everybody you know everybody's looking to do these series films they're trying to get these franchises everybody are every studio is trying to do it because it's making a lot of money and they need to you know when you're a studio that could possibly lose millions of dollars on a film if it doesn't going back to paramount if you have that you know when you're taking those kind of risks, you got to have huge payoffs to balance it out. And so I can see, I mean, and again, you know, you have people on, on, on the one side of it, like Jodie Foster and of course, you know, Coppola and, you know, where they feel like this is really, it's really damaging Hollywood is that it's limiting, it's limiting the types of stories that you can tell. But I mean, obviously it doesn't, I mean, we still, uh, the Joker, you know, Joker is us. You know, it is very much an art film in in a lot of ways, and so I think that there's there's definitely room for for different things. And I think especially now that you have streaming services that are willing to put out films and release them in theaters, I think that uh, there there's actually more opportunity. 
And all you really need to do is create uh, create something that people want to see. And I think the op- I think the opportunity is there. I think uh, you and you don't have to like superhero movies. I think it I think it's going maybe a little bit too far to think that it's it's going to limit any uh, any filmmaker from making the kind of film that they want to make. Like I said, I mean we're gonna we're getting a three hour gangster movie. And if he were, you know, honestly, if he was cut off from from being it, if it, if any movie was going to get was going to be, you know, not able to be made at all and restricted, it'd be a movie like that. Because, I mean, that's I mean, sitting in a theater for three hours can be can be a bit of a chore for sure, mm-hmm. regardless of how, you know, what kind of movie you're talking about. So I don't think he's I, you know, I, I think that they overestimate how limited they Hollywood might be for them right now. But, you know, like I said, I mean, um, I think superhero movies can be f- high art and Marvel and some of the Marvel movies are certain. I'm not saying they all that they're, they're all high art, but I would put Black Panther ahead um, in front of any film as far as it, it's uh, storytelling ability, just the real heart of the movie and just the depth of the storytelling. I mean, I absolutely I would. So honestly, you know, I, I and I figure you probably feel the same way about it. I mean, you. I mean, we do. We need our. We need the Godfathers. We also need uh, Titanic, and we also need Troll Two. We need every. We need an entire. We need all the the vast. You know, right. all these. You know, I don't care for like kind of the. Uh, the Adam Sandler comedies, you know, but I know they make people happy, and that's just one part that I don't like. And uh, yeah, well, so I mean, you're not going to need li- something for everyone. Well, you're not going to like everything. Mm-hmm. No, people don't like you know. Not every movie is made for every person. Mm-hmm. Uh, they talk about you know in Hollywood the four quadrant where it hits everybody, and superhero movies can do that. I think that's part of their strength is they can create those four quadrant films, and. The thing is, when you're when you're doing more artistic films, you're not going to be they're not going to be those four quadrant films uh, because they're not going to appeal to everybody. But you're not trying to appeal to everybody. You're trying to tell a particular story. And regardless of what artist that you are, I, I've always told this to, to writing students is that between the artist and the audience, there's there are two packs. There's two promises that are that are made. OK, and. As an artist, you have the right to create whatever art you want to create in the way that you wish to create it, in the frequency you you wish to create it. And it's not any of the audience's business how you do that. They have no say in that whatsoever. Uh, you may wish that George R. R. Martin published faster and could write faster, but he publishes at the speed that he wants to. And the audience doesn't really, you know, they may be anxious for his stuff, very eager, but you don't really have a say on that. When the artist creates, that is their purview, and the audience really doesn't have a a say in it. Now, the other part of it is once that art has been released, the audience can, can view that art in any way that they choose to. They can like it, they can hate it. Uh, they can say whatever they want about it. They can feel however they want about it. And it's none of the artist's business how they take it. You know, their part of it's already done. Once it's been created and put out there, you know, that's their business. How the audience accepts it, 
that's their business. And so, you know, as an artist, you know, having the freedom to create what you want to create is powerful. But at the same time, if you're going to be that artist, you have to be willing to accept whatever audience your uh, your art is able to garner. And you can't be upset that it doesn't, you know, that it doesn't uh, it doesn't move maybe more people or whatever. I have I have friends who are writers who I think are amazing writers and they write they write what you might call extreme horror, very graphic horror. Now, as good, you know, as great of writers as they are, they're never going to they're never going to be. New York Times bestselling authors. And the reason for that is because, of course, their stuff is way too graphic and it's not going to have a wide appeal. But for them, you know, but they don't have a problem with that because they're getting to create the art that they that they love uh, for people who love it. And, you know, it might not be a huge breakout hit, but that is the choices that they make. And I think, you know, if you're going to if you're going to be an artist, you have to be willing to accept whatever size audience you you get for whatever you create and that's the price that you pay for for creating what you want to create banksy breaks the law to create the art that he wants thomas kincaid is hanging up in every hotel on, on earth so right but you know that that's the thing now but also also to say is that the worst thing that an artist can do is is create something they don't want to create because they think it's going to make them popular you know, that's the worst thing you can do, because the minute you start chasing that stuff, once you're trying to please everybody, you're not pleasing anybody. You know, the, the truth is you, you can't create massively great art for the for the masses for the most part. I, I will say that because if you uh, let, let's be honest, the the meal that appeals to the widest amount of people is the blandest meal. If you got to appeal to everybody, it can't be too salty, can't be too spicy, probably can't put meat in it because you'll have vegetarians. So you, and so if you want to create something that's really powerful art-wise, it may, especially in the beginning, have a limited audience. You know, a lot of great art movies uh, were considered flops at the beginning, uh, and had to it only through time did they um, get cult status. Yeah. Well, and even uh, sometimes not even that. I mean, think about this. I mean, Wizard of Oz was considered a flop. And, of course, now is considered a beloved movie. The only reason why It's a Wonderful Life has any kind of popularity at all, because it was, it was, such a, it was considered such a flop that, that it broke up a partnership of, of, between a director and an actor that used to work together a lot and never worked together again, because that's how, how bad the movie did. Basically, the movie was so bad, the studio let it drop into public domain because they thought nobody's ever going to want to watch this film. And that way, because it was in public domain, it didn't cost anything for stations to play it on TV. And people watched it and loved it. And now it is a holiday classic. But basically, I think ultimately with this situation is I I think as moviegoers, we definitely want to see a wide variety of different films. And, I mean, no matter how much you love pizza, if you eat it every day for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, you can get tired of it quickly, for sure. And so having a wide variety of, of different kinds of films out there, is, is, of course, is going to be good. But I don't know which who of us it, it really 
uh, has the ability to say, well, this is art and this is not. You know, this this is the type of film that should be made. Uh, this this isn't. And I, you know, I'm certainly not a genius, but I think even a, uh, even people who are genius in cinema, like Martin Scorsese and Francis Ford Coppola, I don't even think that that. Uh, I really, I don't think that that's really their place either. You know, just make the kind of films you want to make and put them out there. And because the thing is, as much as you might hate, you know, what modern society has, has become as far as films, it's also opened up new venues to allow you to, to, to put your art out there. So, you know, take advantage of that. I think, uh, honestly, um, you know, like what you like, hate what you le- hate. But at the end of the day, if you don't like what's out there, make something out, make something that you want to see and try to develop an audience that way. So, well, before we go, let's talk a little bit of uh, What the Dead. What the Dead. So, yeah. let's, um, um, uh, episode three was called Ghosts. Now, what, um, I know that you saw the, uh, the television version of it, but I, I discovered. Yep. Of course, I have AMC Premiere, and I discovered that uh, there was a extended version of it. They put out an extended version uh-huh. on Premiere, so there was, hmm. um, I want to say maybe like five or ten minutes of extra footage. Okay. Not a lot of stuff uh, that was different from the TV show. There was a a, a couple places where they extended the conversations. Uh, one was, of course, when uh, Daryl and uh, Michonne were talking. They were talking about Carol, and she seemed to be going off the raw. Uh, yeah. Yeah, which we will definitely talk about. Mm-hmm. But Michonne makes a comment in the extended scene that, yes, uh, Alpha does need to die. And um, the, other, the other piece that I noticed that was uh, extended was, of course, between Aaron and uh, Negan. When they were having their they were having their moment. Oh yeah, when the uh, the when Aaron couldn't see and right, mm-hmm. but you know the argument that they had before that. Okay. Mm-hmm. Where where Aaron was like, "Are you telling me that the love of my life died and that was my fault?" In the regular television, it cuts to him basically going after Negan and talking about his wife. But if if you remember, you know Negan didn't want to get in that conversation. He says, "You know, you're not strong enough to hear the truth." And when, when in the, uh, in the uh, extended, extended version, when he said, are you telling me that he died because I couldn't protect him? Negan looks at him and goes, I told you you weren't strong enough to hear the truth. <laughs> so that sets the, you, you get mm-hmm. that moment that sets it off even more. Mm-hmm. Now, the one long extended scene that's in, in there is that there's a scene between Rosita and Gabriel. And this is, you know, in the middle of them fighting off all these, all the walkers that mm-hmm. are at the gate. And then she's got, uh, you know, she's getting ready to go to the gate and, and, and lend a hand. And Gabriel stops her and says, you know, where are you going? He says, well, I'm going to defend mm-hmm. the gate. She says, look, you, you can't do that. I mean, you have a, you know, we have a child and you are literally the only person who can feed this baby. Mm-hmm. So he basically tells her, look, I, he, he looks at her and goes, I'm, I'm tired and I, I don't have time to argue. Just stay home. And he walks off. Mm-hmm. So that plays in later <laughs> on because, of course, things get really hot, uh, get really heated for sure. And, we'll, of course, we will definitely talk about that as we go into, the, you know, all the spoilers. But mm-hmm. uh, um, 
So that that really played off, and you could see why, especially later on, why something that Eugene says to her really sets her off. Mm-hmm. And we'll we'll definitely talk about that scene. But before we do that, let's let's talk a little bit about uh, the setup for this for the episode. Of course, we have. Um, we have wave after wave of walkers approaching um, Alexandria, which, of course, they immediately assume is the Whisperers. Right. And although Lydia say, no, that's not the way mom would work. <laughs> but nobody believes her. Yep. You know, but we get this um, we get this moment of um, of uh, fighting going on, you know, and uh, and then Carol I mean that that was one of the main thr- uh, plot thrust in in this episode was, of course, Carol is slowly going insane because yeah. she's keeping herself awake with mm-hmm. caffeine pills. So, um, but uh, she's pulling a Jesse Spano. You, you know, you're not the first person to say that. <laughs> but yeah, that's exactly it. And uh, and she's having all kinds of hallucinations, right? And- which is interesting because. Now you get this situation, you know, in literature, we talk about the unreliable narrator. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of things that happen in the show, you know, uh, that you're wondering, well, what really happened and what didn't? Right. You get this really uh, excited because we we know very little about, like, Daryl's past. Yeah. And, you know, you get little snippets, like, every three years or something. And you think, oh, well, we get to learn more about his, you know, bastard father who was a truck driver. And nope. Mm-mm. Nope. Turn she around. Imagined not the, real. Yeah. She, <laughs> imagine the whole damn thing. <laughs> And um, of course, you get that you get that moment at the at the end where you're starting to doubt, you know, that you know she was ambushed, and it turns out no, that was that oh, part yeah. was real. That happened. Mm-hmm. That happened. So now we have a a walker walking around in a walker skin because the uh, apparently the uh, the, whisper, the whisperer, yeah, the whisperer who was sent to take care of Carol, mm-hmm. but of course that means you know Alpha is definitely looking to. To, to to have her done and which makes perfect sense but you know here's the irony of that the whole scene of course that we're up on uh you know when they're up on the hill and there's the post you know where the where the where the uh uh the heads were left and you know the the what marked the territory and you have that moment where carol brings a gun to a knife fight yep and almost almost shoots alpha except that uh michonne uh, stops her well i I mean, it, it, Michonne, I, actually, it was Daryl that grabbed her first. Oh, okay. Um, what makes this rough is, I mean, if you if you guys remember, is, uh, of course, when we see Negan for the first time, you know, why did Glenn die? Because Daryl took a swing at uh, Negan. Uh, uh-huh. So he basically, he's the one who, you know, who basically prevents Carol from doing what he did. Mm-hmm. You know, because he saw what happened. Yep. So. And they're standing right there in front of Henry's pike. It's really sad. Yeah. It's. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, I mean, and you feel so bad for Carol because you, I mean, you can see why, especially when you see the dream she's been having, you can see why she's, you know, why she doesn't want to sleep. And I mean, she's carrying an egg timer. And that that was the, the thing about it was with the kitchen timer, I. When I first saw it, I thought that was really weird. I'm like, she was using it as an alarm clock. And I'm like, that's only like an hour. How is she getting any kind of sleep with, I mean, because she's setting, a, she's using a, a timer for, I mean, did they, 
jerry rig the the timer that it goes slower i mean she couldn't possibly get be getting any sleep and she's well, no, not she's not getting any sleep so yes it was definitely you know especially in the dream sequences that none of the clocks had hands the watch didn't have hands and yeah then you have the the egg timer that's not uh that's you know doesn't have hands it just you know ticks and yeah so uh it was a very cool cool episode in that respect oh yeah but yeah, so you have, I mean, you have all those things with her and you, you know that she's, something's going to have to happen for sure. Because, I mean, obviously she has uh, drawn the attention of Alpha. And it's like we've been saying uh, on this podcast uh, many times, we want to see what happens between Alpha and, and uh, Carol. Yeah, but I don't want it to happen because Carol's, you know, gone all all batshit and stuff. Yeah. I want her to be clear headed. I want her to know what's going on and have a have a Carol plan going on. You know, yeah. uh, set off a rocket and burn down Terminus kind of plan. I want her to, you know, be fully thought out and and take some vengeance. Oh yeah. Well, I guess. Well, the thing is, of course, now she's out of uh, she's out of those pills. So mm-hmm. unless she can find some more caffeine pills, she's having to sleep. And of course, she's at the end of the episode. She had her. She uh she slept and of course she had those horrible horrible dreams which was you know what's interesting about that dream what makes it so horrible is it's so hopeful <laughs> you know it's not like she's having nightmares she's seeing what's uh, she's seeing good things in her life you know uh you know um, things being back to normal and even you know Henry being there and then you have to wake up and realize nope none of that's real right. That that could be worse, you know, than oh, a nightmare. Yeah. Well, and the other thing too, um, the home ec cookbook, the home ec book, when they were in the high school, when she looks <laughs> at that book and it's like all the kids that, uh, wow, that was messed up. She's hold there's a, there she is holding the turkey and there's, you know, there's Henry, there's Sophia, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that's that was just absolutely just messed up the whole that whole bit of it i was like oh god that's that's terrible but uh the other thing i wanted to talk about about that episode and i want definitely wanted to talk to you about this mandy because i've noticed that a lot of people uh different people have different opinions about this whole thing but we we definitely have to talk about rosita and eugene oh uh uh-huh yeah so um (laughs) So what did you make of that scene? Let me ask you that. I mean, it's it's uh, very much, you know, uh, uh, it's the first, I guess, you know, first guy to, you know, to admit, you know, yeah, I, I was in the friend zone and I was trying to, trying to, to uh, you know, trying to wear you down and stuff like that. And it's the first person on screen to admit that he was wrong by doing that. Yeah. And, you know, it's no when Harry met Sally and it's no pretty in pink and stuff like that. And. You know, and and to admit that, yeah, no, the friend zone does not exist. You know, it was my fault, and I was just a bad friend. And uh, yeah, well, you know, that's the thing. Especially a lot of young guys, they get this idea that there's only really two types of ways that relationships work. You know, it's like you're either that's the one night stand thing where you're going and you know it's just sex, and then the other side of it is. Of course, that you you have to develop a friendship first to prove that you know that this is not a one night stand, and then you know then the sex comes later. You know, it's like a relationship is friendship plus sex. You know, you get a little bit older, you kind of get away from that. But you know, definitely, I mean, Eugene when he says, you know, I wasn't listening to the no, I think 
again, you know, not that we're going to necessarily start getting into relationship advice, but I, I find that it's really interesting that you you get such a kind of a clear picture of the of some of the problems that some, that sometimes guys have in relationships about uh, one, you know, not getting a vague answer from someone because they ask vague questions and thinking that means a maybe, you know, they don't. Um, and, you know, because the thing about it is uh, whether they admit or, or not, unless they, they don't really understand women at all. You know, the thing is when a woman says no, she doesn't change her mind ever. <laughs> you know, that's, that's the thing. If, you know, and, and you can, if, if I'm wrong about this, you can tell me. But it just seems to me that if she's not at least 50 to 55% interested in you, you know, when you first meet, you don't have a, there's, there's no prayer. There's no chance at all. <laughs> there's never been a, any kind of a situation where somebody was like, just, you know, and I, I think this is the same thing if you're, in a, if there's a woman with a woman or a man with a man, uh-huh. you know, um, uh, if there if there's not some sort of an attraction going on right off the bat, it's not really going to change. Uh, there's the the scene in Dumb and Dumber where you know she's saying no, absolutely not, no, uh, not in a million years. Uh, you know, if you were the last man on earth, and then he says, "So you're saying there's a chance?" Yeah, I mean that's every, that's yeah. every every single one of them, and. Uh, you know, and the fact that he just that he, he, you know, he admits that he was a bad friend. And but if you go back to, you know, think about when they first came on the show, he was spying on uh, on Rosita and Abraham having sex. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, and I guess obviously they they didn't mind that. Maybe they were exhibitionists, which is fine because they never called him out on it or told him to stop. Uh, but, you know, I don't know about, you know, the foundation, but. Uh, well, you know, the other thing, too, and in a sense, this is really, I would call this backhanded slut shaming in a way, is, I mean, you look at Rosita, and I mean, especially with, if you have, uh, if you have a very fragile male ego, if you're, if you're looking like Rosita, where she was in a relationship with Abraham, uh, she had a fling with Sadiq, she's now with Gabriel, it's like, over the course of a few years, you know, she's had multiple people that she's been with. She was interested in the mayor's son. I mm-hmm. forget his name, but... Uh. Yeah. So, um, so you have all that. I mean, if you've got a fragile male ego, it's like, oh, she's interested in all these other people, but not me. Mm-hmm. You know, so that can, you know, sometimes, you know, like I said, for a fragile male ego, that could mm-hmm. be worse, where she's had multiple partners you're just not one of them. That it might be a little more palatable to take if you know you're with if she's with one person and has stuck with her, stuck with that person, he or she, whoever that is. That it it's easier to take than it would be that some that she's jumped around a little bit, but just not you, you know. But uh, you know that that one scene where you know he's ta- uh, where where uh, Eugene is asking about the uh, the baby, and you know putting himself out there as somebody who is trying to protect her, you know, and, you know, especially I would say specifically, you know, when you see the, the scene between Rosita and Gabriel, you can see why that really struck a chord. Oh, the extra scene, uh-huh. the extra scene, why yeah. that was rough because, and, and again, you know, not that I can say that, that, you know, that I can speak for all women, but I, I do get the feeling. And again, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think that sometimes, it can be it can be rough when, you know, as a woman, you've 
you have uh, all these things you're interested in, you have all this potential, how rough that can be when you become a mother and suddenly that's all that you are. Mm -hmm. And obviously Rosita was feeling that in a huge way because, Mm -hmm. again, she she taught Eugene how to fight. She's defended herself. She's defended her community. And now because she's a mother, she's not allowed to do any of that anymore, Mm -hmm. you know. And I, and I get this. It's like, yeah, you know, the whole comment about, you know, you're literally the only person who can feed this baby. Well, I get it, you know. It's like formula is not, I, I'm guessing, very difficult to come by in the mm-hmm. apocalypse. And so breastfeeding is pretty much the only option that baby has. But again, I can see why, especially somebody like Rosita would would be upset about, you know, this thought that, well, you know, she has a child now, so she has to be put to the sideline she she can't contribute anymore you know Mm -hmm. she's a mother first and everything else has to you know i i can get where that could you know where that could sting certainly because you know certainly rosita is somebody who can carry her own weight for sure and to be told well you're not allowed to do that anymore Mm -hmm. i can see where that would certainly um that would certainly be rough on her for sure but uh yeah, I mean, that was the thing that the moment when Eugene had his moment of clarity, as he put it, uh, and realized, you know, I've, I really, I really screwed up here because I think I thought I was being a good friend, but it turns out I was just being a shitty friend. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know, like I said, uh, for a lot of, for especially for young guys, this idea that you know, if I can. I could be friends with somebody long enough, you know, maybe they're, they're, th- you know, if I can do enough for them, you know, oh, I, yeah. I took care of your kids. So, you know, don't, you know, don't you owe me kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's the dark side of it. And, and like I said, um, and as a young guy, I, I fell into that. Certainly I did because again, you know, you're thinking that by being their friend, you're you're basically proving that you you're going to stick by them, and that this is not some sort of a fling. You're not looking at them just as a as an object or whatever. But at the same time, the dark side of that is a a weird uh, quid pro quo. Really, it's like mm-hmm. look what I've done for you. You know, like me. You know, and especially like I said, when you're young, you know, and you're a guy, you know, you get this idea that sex is is the way that you show somebody how deeply you care about them, you know, is that that's the, that's the thing about it is that's the moment where they will understand. If you can get them to there, it's from, they will you know, understand. From, the, from the time you're a kid, it says, you know, when two people love each other very much and you know, that's not true. It's like, yeah. you're, you are going to, you know, you're going to be with a lot of people that you don't love. <laughs> the love has <laughs> nothing to do with it. Right. But yeah, there's, there's that thing. It's like, if you can, if you can get them there, I mean, I, I'm sure that in you know in the 50s and the 40s that marriage was that that's you know that uh, finish line, you know. But now you know marriage is not that. But you know maybe that 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 sexual experience, you know that's you know if I you know if I can if I can get to that point, then she's going to understand how I feel about her, and it's going to make sense, and she's going to care because she's going to see that how how good of a person I am, how much she means to me. And uh, again, like I said, usually uh, in situations, you know, like I said, if within the first few moments, I think, you know, there are decisions being made that they don't, you're not going to go back on. I mean, I mean, you can tell me, have you ever been uninterested in somebody and then they wore you down and you suddenly started liking them? I, I 
can't recall. Yeah, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, I I don't. I mean, I certainly have, that's never happened to me where I wasn't interested in somebody and they wore me down and I I I uh, uh, fell in love with them. I, it doesn't work that way. So. Uh, and it's not again. It's not about you know trivial you know trivial things. I think that I think human beings. I think in some ways we can be very observant when we don't realize that we are. And there's just you know people. Some people just don't mesh with people. That's that's it. And you can care deeply about somebody who just does not feel that way about you. And I think it's kind of funny because you know saying that I'm. Uh, you know, it just reminds me of what we were talking about uh, with as far as artistry is concerned. You know, on your side, you can create, you can feel however you wish to feel, but that doesn't obligate anybody else to anything. You know, you, you can choose to love anybody that you want to love and feel about them any way that you want to feel about them. But that doesn't obligate them to reciprocate or do anything. And uh, yeah, I mean, that that was a moment where where Eugene had, like I said, that moment of clarity where I, I think that he uh, realized something that maybe uh, not a lot of other guys do. I think they, I think a lot of other guys spend their entire lives not realizing uh, that. Uh, um, without uh, feeling like, oh, I just wasted my time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and the other, th- and the other part of it too is that and I'm not going to say just guys, you know, males and females, because it's not just hetero, uh, heterosexual relationships. But anytime that you're, anytime you're in a relationship with somebody that, in a different circumstance, could have turned romantic but just didn't, those friendships can be problematic. And specifically with, I, I mean, I can tell you, you know, a situation where, you know, I, I have male friends and female friends, but being single, I'm, I, I can do that, you know, because. But at the same time, if I, you know, I've been in relationships with, with people, with, with, with ladies, and I totally get this. They're fine with me hanging out with my male friends, but they sure as hell are not ha- fine with me hanging out with female friends, regardless of how long I've known them and how platonic it is, or even if they have boyfriends or husbands or whatever. Yeah, that's not, you know, that's uh, anytime uh, the phrase, he won't let me, she won't let me, enters into a relationship, you are not in a relationship of equality anymore. Now you right. are in a relationship of abuse. So yeah. if, you know, you know, he won't let me go, uh, you know, go hang out here, uh, she won't let me uh, go, you know, play cards with my buddies that's right. you know now you're not in a relationship anymore you're in yeah. a power struggle well you know and and i i agree with that but at the same time i can also see where you know where somebody i'm in a relationship with might have some questions about if I, you know hanging out with another female i can see that and especially i would say if you're if this was somebody who was in a situation where they had been cheated on and I care about them, I don't really want to put them in a position where they feel like they're going to get hurt again. Oh, well, once you've answered those questions and then yeah. they still can't trust you, yeah. then then that becomes a, a problem that, you know, you know, if you decide that, you know, uh, you know, that that's what that you're willing to feed into those fears and stuff rather yeah. than working on them. I mean, that's a that's a boundary, you know, you have to choose to cross. But Oh, yeah. Well, like I say, I mean. And, and you know, you know, that's that's kind of the danger you run into whenever you're in a relationship is, you know, you you I mean, obviously, in a relationship, you can't just take your own feelings into account. You have to account mm-hmm. for the other person. 
you know, like I said, I, I mean, I can understand why if I'm in a relationship with a woman, if I'm hanging out with some other woman, you know, and I just say they're, they're a friend. I mean, it's, you know, it's like Bismarcky, you know, you got what I need, but you say he's just a friend, you know, that song. It's, it's, a, it can be, like I said, it can be, relationships can be complicated and that, that might, like I said, uh, all mine have, uh, it seems like all mine have always been difficult. Mm. I, I'd love to, maybe there's a possibility of, of one being simpler. I, it's just never been my experience for sure. But yeah, I mean, relationships can be really complicated, but they really become complicated when, when you're are putting, when you put feeling requirements on the other person, because that just never works. You can't let someone's uh, past experiences manipulate you. Right. Into certain behaviors. Right. And you can't you can't adopt certain behaviors to try to attract somebody else, which I know a lot of guy friends that I know fall into that trap. You know, they're like, what is she? You know, you know, if I she's into this, if I become, you know, if I show an interest in this, she'll show an interest in me. And it's like, you know, it's just easier to find somebody who's who likes the same stuff you're in that you can be you know that you can be the person you are without having to put on any kind of a an act or a mask or pretend to be somebody that you're not to, to be interested in them because even if it were to work what happens the minute they they get to know you a bit better and find out that that part of you isn't true if that's the part of you they were interested in now it's gone what's going to happen right but yeah it's amazing how much that that one little scene between uh, Rosita and uh, Eugene, how much it had to say about, you know, about a very complicated issue, but, you know, between partners, you know, and the fact that Eugene had the wherewithal to be able to say, yeah, I, I really screwed up here. And I, you know, I was uh, doing things for the wrong reason. I thought, uh, you know, usually they say in, in writing, it's, uh, when a character says exactly what's on their heart, it's bad writing. But I think under this circumstance, the fact that he had this epiphany and was able to say it in the way that he said it, I thought was, like I said, that that scene really struck me, especially because, you know, um, even though I'm no young, no longer a young man, I remember what I was, uh, what I was like when I was. And I'm like, Oh, this looks familiar. <laughs> yeah, and, and I think, you know, we're kind of finally getting out of that. And, you know, once it uh, now, you know, teaching, you know, teaching kids is like, okay, well, if she says no, don't don't keep trying, you know, don't yeah. don't try, try again, you know, uh, to let her be. And uh, if, you know, if he if he cheated on his girlfriend with you, then he's going to treat cheat on you when you are yeah. his girlfriend and so i think we're 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 working on getting out of that and yeah I, this was some good commentary on it i don't know how fast we we are because mm-hmm. i mean that that is the danger uh, with a lot of young heterosexual males is that they they look at somebody and they fixate on them they're like that's the one and regard and they ignore all warning signs and uh they just fixate on that one person, and uh, and I've talked about you know I was in a I was in a really bad abusive relationship, and there were situations that opened up for me where I could have went somewhere else. People who were interested in me as me, and I just let it go because of the fact that I was fixated on this one person, and um, you know that you know so. any attention any attention was attention. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know, and there you go. So 
we're all human beings when it comes down to the end of the day. So, uh, but like I said, that's that's why I thought that scene in particular was was pretty telling. Striking chords everywhere. Striking chords everywhere, and there was a lot to be learned. Uh, hopefully, you know, we, we happen to learn that. But uh, next week, though, uh, Silence the Whispers is the next episode, which is being directed by Michael Cudlitz, whom we remember as Abraham. Oh, This excellent. is the second episode he's directed. Mm-hmm. The first one, of course, was Stradivarius. He directed mm-hmm. that, which was his directorial debut, and, of course, he directed. And he's going to be doing one more episode. I think it's episode seven called Open Your Eyes, which is the one right before... Uh, the mid-season finale. Mm-hmm. So that's one thing I love about um, uh, about uh, Walking Dead is that it's it's been giving people uh, who've wanted to direct the opportunity to do so. Of course, Greg Nicotero, who really blew up uh, in a directing career, starting out, you know, uh, of course he did a lot of you know second uh, second unit directing. Uh, in movies, but the being able to take the lead chair in in a lot of these episodes, of course, he directed the first two episodes of of season ten. Uh, but being able to direct more, of course, that's always been his passion, is to get more into the directorial side of things, and he's had a chance to do that. Now, of course, uh, Michael Cudlitz um, is um, is getting a chance to step in and do it, and uh, which I think is just is, is fantastic. So, of course. Um, one other thing is, of course, uh, HBO, they've started uh, the Watchmen TV series, which eventually we're going to have to talk about. Oh, yeah. But I, I didn't want to br- – I don't really want to get into doing like a, a, a show by – you know, an episode by episode breakdown mm-hmm. like we do with – probably it would be best to watch the whole thing mm-hmm. from start to finish and then maybe do a review about it then. Yep. But, of course, this weekend we get uh, Z- Zombieland Double Tap. Oh. So definitely, we can talk about that next week for sure. I, are you planning? Uh, are you planning on seeing it this weekend? Do you think? I don't or? think so. Uh, I hadn't thought about it. Yeah. Well, I mean, eventually we'll, uh, we can talk about that. I uh, I probably will wind up seeing it sometime this weekend if I if I get the chance. Uh, it looks like it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm I'm definitely looking forward to talking about it with you when uh, we're back on the podcast. And so, with that said, we come to the end of episode eighty eight. Thank you for listening, and tune in next week for the latest in geek news and views with the Geek Watch Podcast. From Andy Petri, this is Brian Hatcher, reminding all the geek watchers out there, we're all geeky about something. Be proud of yours. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Geek Watch Podcast. If you enjoyed this program, don't forget to like and subscribe on your preferred platform and share this podcast on your social media. For links to all the ways you can listen to the Geek Watch Podcast, as well as leave comments and suggestions, visit our website at geekwatch.net. The Geek Watch Podcast is a Hanging J production.